Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us again for another edition of the Making It Our Own podcast, dedicated to discussion and celebration of Making It on NBC. The crafting competition begins on Tuesday, July 31st at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on NBC. I'm Tracy, and I'm super excited to talk to another one of the talented contestants, Jeff Riddell. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> awesome. Now tell me, do you like to go by Jeff or Jeffrey? Do you have a preference? You know, I don't. I am. Um, okay. I answer to everything. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Good. I want to find out a little bit about how paper has become one of your specialties or mediums that you like to use the most. How did that come about? Oh my gosh. Um <laughs> That's the, 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 that's a long answer. My, my, you have to understand my, my father was a foreman at a paper mill. Okay. So from a very young age, he would bring home large sheets of sort of, um, playing cards uncut. Like, uh-huh. so you'd have all the cards on a single sheet and he'd bring home like a hundred of them. So I could staple them up on my wall and kind of wallpaper my bedroom and playing cards. Wow. And, um, one year, one year he brought home silver foil that they used for the inside of cigarette packs, and so we wrapped uh-huh. all of our Christmas presents in bright silver foil. Mm-hmm. And he'd frequently bring home giant tubes of cardboard, so I, you know, with a little duct tape, I would make these giant tube forts that, you know, had three or four rooms and spread out over the backyard of our house. Uh, I was kind of a favorite among the neighborhood kids who would come and, you know, play in my fort. So... Paper was always sort of the most accessible and immediate medium. And it was, I, I guess I just learned really early on, you could do a lot with it. Mm-hmm. And it was essentially valueless. So if you tear it or you poke a hole in it, you're like, oh, well, it's a piece of paper. No big deal. Right. But if you spent, if you spent some time touching it, you know, like bending it and folding it and taping it, you could take this worthless material, this very ephemeral material, and you could build uh-huh. the most extraordinary things out of it. Yes. And that, yes. in a nutshell, has been my approach to paper for my whole life, right up until this show. Because wow. there's not, not, to, not to put too fine a point on it, but there's nothing better than taking $7 worth of paper uh-huh. and manipulating it for a week and a half and then selling that $7 with the paper, which is now some giant Baroque uh, paper wig, selling it to someone for $1,000. Wow, and yeah. And that sort of return on investment, that, uh-huh. I mean, that hits a sweet spot in the creative soul where you're like, ooh, look what I did. <laughs> and that's, sure. that's really exciting. That's really exciting. And I've worked in non-craft jobs for most of my life, so I know that you don't get that same immediate sense of satisfaction and pleasure in creating, uh, you don't get that when you're necessarily, you know, reading a World Bank report on financing in the Caribbean or something like that, mm-hmm. as I used to do. So, okay. yeah, paper's been a part of my life for a very long time. Fantastic. Well, that's really interesting, and I, I'm, I'm so excited about following your work and getting um, to see more of your projects, because, and I think other folks as well, because it's so easy to think about paper as two-dimensional, and the things you're talking about yeah, yeah. Are, are very much three-dimensional, you know, and sort of open up your mind and think of all the things that uh, you can do with it. So that's that's very cool. Um, tell me something about, um, no spoilers, of course, 
but about the competition um, that surprised you? You know, like what did you kind of have in mind going into it um, that you would be doing, and then did you bring something after the competition out with you that you didn't expect? Uh, wow. Yes. Well, let's see. I um, I, I have some previous reality TV experience. I was on the Martha okay. Stewart Apprentice years oh. ago, 2005. Okay. And um, that was a whole different type of show. Mm-hmm. So I went into this show thinking, you know, there's going to be a lot of the same reality TV tropes. There'll be an Omarosa mm-hmm. type person, and there'll be some backstabbing, and there'll be some bickering, and there'll be <laughs> a lot of okay. interpersonal drama. And what I found instead, which, praise God, what I found <laughs> instead was a bunch of people like me, like really kind of uh, quietly, uh, humbly creative people who are used to working all alone in their studio or with an art director or you know with uh-huh. a product development group who just want to make pretty things and who rely almost solely on their imagination. Like, nobody knows in advance, oh, I'm going to do this and it's going to be fantastic. What Mm -hmm. we know is, I'm going to try to do this and I hope it's fantastic. (laughs) And if it's not, I'm imaginative enough to kind of cover my mistake and, you know, regain my ground. And it was was kind of a loving and supportive experience incubator is what it felt like. I went in thinking it was going to be like, now all the knives were out, and it turned out to be this incredibly uh, enriching and empowering incubator. I mean, I'm going to give you a peek behind the curtain of Jeffrey, but um, Uh I frequently will look look at other people's work, and I'll think, oh, yeah, that's not so great, or, God, I wish they'd done this a different way, or, oh, if I ever did that, I'd do it. Right. But that's Uh my internal voice. You know, you don't say that out loud. Right. That's just how I get better. That's how you learn. And I found myself, surprisingly, and this is a big surprise, and it talks, it speaks to the level of sort of expertise among my other contestants that were there, is I glance over at a different workbench and I go, first of all, I go, wow, like, what mm-hmm. is that? I wouldn't even think of that. And then secondly, my, my next thought was, damn, I wish I'd made that. Yeah, yeah. That was amazing. <laughs> Because you realize you're in a room of really talented people who are completely different than you. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a crafter. I work in a dark room with a light on <laughs> and a stereo and a cat in the corner. I am yeah. used to being around this kind of bubbling, incredible, uh, imaginative, creative whirlwind, which is what that workshop was. It was, right. it was amazing. I left that show... I actually left the show thinking that it might be time in my life to find somebody to be in a studio with, like okay. a collaborator or just some other, because there's a there's a sort of creative cross-pollination that happens, mm-hmm. which is unexpected but amazingly productive because it's not that you're competing or you're trying to one-up, but you see someone use a material in an unexpected way and you think, oh, I never I never thought of that. And then you start thinking about it and stuff comes out. Mm-hmm. And I'm also, I have to say, I'm a big fan of what I like to call creative abrasion. Okay. When things when things are too easy or things are too, when I'm too set in my ways, I don't often produce the best work. The best work comes um, when there's a little abrasion there. Like, for example, my scissors broke, so I don't have a scissors and I'm on a deadline, so I'll just tear everything. 
And suddenly this very precise and controlled looking object that I'm making now has soft torn edges and it looks beautiful and organic and it looks like something yeah. I never would have come up with on my wow. own. So by remove by removing a resource or by injecting some sort of discord into the process, you stir up the silt, so to speak, and the creativity gets a little murky, but other things emerge that you weren't expecting. Okay. This show does that because, of course, they take away the resources all the time in the world, which you don't have right. on TV. Right. So in my studio, if I if it doesn't work, I'm like, well, I'll try it again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Here you're like, yeah, if it doesn't work, you've got another hour and 20 minutes. Chop, chop. <laughs> so that was really that was really wonderful. I have to say, I, okay. I didn't expect I would like that as much as I liked it. I didn't always like it, mind you, but yeah, but yeah. <laughs> it it has a it has a gift wrapped in a thorny outside, and the gift is what I, I I I took back with me. It was really incredible. I just said interesting. Well, you really affirmed what I had kind of suspected from um, the previews and the teasers and things that you know you do tend to think of a reality um, or an unscripted. Um, series as sort of filled with, you know, drama, you know, and this sounds so much more inspirational. Um, so I think it just, I really like what you had to say, and I hope people will, will remember that and, and, and watch the show and expect that, you know, that positivity um, from it. Um, I, I have to say there was a moment early on when we were filming and um, one of the contestants, they, they broke their ruler. And, uh-huh. you know, you could hear it in the whole workshop and crack. And, like, it was like, oh, darn. Yeah. Before the guy, before the, the guy could even say anything, three of us had handed him, here, I have an extra ruler. Take it. Yeah. And we all looked at each other like, oh, wait, we're all nice, kind people. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's nice. <laughs> um, and that was kind of the whole vibe for the whole show. It was really okay. It was it was really cool, I have to say. Not to say we're not all fierce competitors, because we are. Sure. Um, yeah. But more more than anything, because we work alone, I think all of us are – I mean, I, I like to think of myself as competitive with my co-contestants. But um, right. you're really competitive – you're competitive with yourself. You want to do your yeah. best. You want to make people happy. And and it was, it was so refreshing to see that, oh, yeah, I'm not the only one who has insecurities. I'm not the only one who's sweating bullets here trying to get it done. We're yeah. all doing that. It was It was wonderful. It was amazing. And awesome. and we're different. We're very different. So the contestants, okay. you know, I would produce something, and then you know, same design brief, like do this task, and I'd look around and be like, "Wow, that is <laughs> a completely different path. How did you get there?" And that yeah. was cool. Yeah, awesome. Nice, I nice to be kind of elbowed out of your rut for a little bit because you you realize, oh, there's a lot of other paths. Who knew? Yeah. Um, well, you you've touched on on this a little bit about sort of crafting on a deadline. Like I know when a lot of people think about art and or crafting or designing, they think of sort of a free-flowing process and, you know, when you're inspired, what your muse might be. But it sounds like in the in the competition, you have a certain time frame to complete a certain assignment. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So what is and, – and it sounds like you do – you take commissioned work. Is that right? Or you – you have clients and things. Yeah, no, I, I do a lot of work. Most of my work is for commercial uh, commercial applications. So I make a lot of props that photographers use, like in the back of a shot. So there'll be a shampoo bottle with like some burst of fruit and vegetables coming out of the top, and that's all made out uh-huh. of paper. And I create okay. that part, or else I'll make a prop 
that will, you know, stand next to or beside or that a model will sit on as she's wearing okay. a $10,000 okay. gown or something. Okay. Even in my – even in work that I do for myself, I'm a big uh-huh. believer in setting a deadline. Okay. There's a, there's okay. a great quote. There's a great quote from um, uh, the conductor, Leonard Bernstein. And the quote is, to achieve great things, two things are needed, a plan and not quite enough time. Oh, and yeah. I think it's – I, I think it's genius because too much time and you, you tend to overthink. Okay. And um, as someone said to me once, uh, not long ago, the creating process and the critiquing process are very different parts of the brain and you can't do them at the same time. So okay. by, by putting a, a strict time limit around your project, it forces you to just create. Like let it all okay. out, do what you can, throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. And then after that time is over, you can critique it and... And, you know, pinch it here and nudge it there and do little modifications. But you got to let okay. yourself explore. It's all about that sort of imaginative component. Okay, okay. Um, and it's hard, to, it's, hard, it's hard to get to that point where you just free yourself to go, yeah, whatever I do is going to be amazing. Which, of course, <laughs> isn't, isn't true. But, but you have to have that, that the frame of mind to at least start the process. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you what maybe you learned about working within a time crunch or a deadline. It sounds like you have a lot of experience with that, actually, and you've given us some, some great tips about, about how to approach that. Are there, are there any other tips you can think of for crafters and designers that maybe aren't used to working within a deadline? Are there organizational techniques, or um, do, you, do you write, do you do a um, sort of a blueprint? Do you make a list? Uh, what other types of things help with trying to come up with this magnificent well, creation within a deadline? Here's rule number one with all work, and I don't care if that's <laughs> sitting at a desk or sitting in a studio building things out of craft materials. You've got to show mm-hmm. up for work. Like, I, I don't have a muse. There is no Okay. Muse. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the muse is you get up, you work nine to five, you take a break for lunch. Some days mm-hmm. you can do some amazing stuff, and then on mm-hmm. day two you tear it all apart because it's not working, and you start again. Okay. So I'm a big believer in telling people, don't think your way through this idea. You do it. Okay. You find the idea. You find the inspiration at the end of the project, not at the beginning. Okay. And that's I, I live by that rule. People think it's crazy, but it's it's like to put it in different terms, uh, someone said to me recently, I said, oh, you know, I'm always tired and I feel weak and I, you know, I need to work out. And they said, oh, do you know where, you know where rest and strength comes from? It lives at the gym. You have to go to the gym to find it. You don't uh-huh. get it in order to go to the gym. You go there to find it. And the same uh, with yeah. creativity. You mm-hmm. show up and it's there. The second okay. rule that I have is um, there's a lot of crafts out there and they're all amazing because they're all people trying to achieve something. On that level, okay. I can approve. If you're trying to make a living at craft, you have to be a little harder on yourself. Which okay. is to say, I, I love a granny square. If you're crocheting and you're making a granny square, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you that there's very few corporate clients that are going to pay you to make a granny square. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. because it's not valuable, but because they've seen it. It's been done before. Okay. Now, if you mm-hmm. want to make a granny square and you're committed to that, then make it out of woven newspaper and, you know, make it mm-hmm. at a larger scale and make a blanket that covers a city park. 
then your granny square has a different take on it. But yeah, yeah. you have to find a way to be new and innovative. And that doesn't mean ground up brand new. It just means a slightly different point of view on something that we all might think we already know. Okay, like I know okay. square, but what I've never seen is I've never seen a leather granny square woven uh-huh. from like rawhide straps and made into a biker jacket. And that right. would be cool. I'd love to see some big cool. biker with a beard and big rings wearing a crocheted biker jacket. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Um, so you, you, have, you, have to, you have to be able to try something new, and that means you have to be willing to fail. Because trust me, the great ideas don't spring fully formed like Athena, you know, from your head. Yeah. They just don't. Mm-hmm. They come from, you know, figuring out, wow, when you're working with leather, the granny square doesn't quite look the same. And, you know, <laughs> my crochet hook won't work. I'm going to have to right. carve the dowling so it's big enough. But I encourage people to do that. Like, find the thing that you like to do and then do it in a way that no one else has ever done it. Okay. Because if you're just co- copying someone else, and that's, that's how we learn. We learn by copying. I learned by doing a granny square. But then uh, I, when I actually learned to crochet, I went to a um, Lion brand yarn. And a woman there uh-huh. had a tiny, tiny, tiny crochet hook. It was really like the size of a needle. And she was crocheting something. And I said, what are you, what are you doing? She goes, oh, I'm crocheting a, a shawl. And I'm like, oh, my God, like the finished granny square was like a half inch big. Yeah. You're going to do a shawl? I thought you were doing like doll furniture. And she goes, no, 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 I'm doing a shawl, but I've never seen anybody do it this fine. It almost looks like gossamer. It looks like a cobweb. Yeah. And the minute she said cobweb, I thought, oh, my God, that's genius. Yeah. And again, like with my work, it looks complicated, but there's simple operations. You know, I, I cut things in straight lines and I fold paper. But I fold it in curves and shapes, and it looks really complex. Same with the granny square. It's some some simple stitches, but how you put it together, the scale, the color you choose, you have a great sort of creative field in which to go prancing out into. You just have to realize that the field's there. Like, break out, cross the street, go over the fence, like, do something new. I love it. I love it. That's great. Okay, I've got a little game of either or for you. This is kind of lighthearted. <laughs> there's there's no there's no right uh wrong answer. It's just for fun. Um we uh, you know okay. everyone knows that your hosts on the show are Amy Kohler and Nick Offerman. So, those are your chances. Those are your answers, choices. Either Amy or Nick. So, okay. If you had to select one of them to be your pet sitter for the weekend, who are you going to choose, either Amy or Nick? Nick. Okay. I choose Nick. All right. <laughs> sound, sound pretty confident about that. I like it. Okay. Um, and one of them, they've offered to make dinner for you. Who are you going to select, either Amy or Nick? Amy. Okay. All right. Now, this one might be a little tougher. I don't know. You have to pitch your design. Uh, to a new client, but you can't be there, some kind of emergency. Who are you going to choose to pitch your design to the client, either Amy or Nick? Oh, my God, that's hard. That's hard. <laughs> that's uh, hard. Amy, Amy, could pitch, Amy could pitch a handkerchief to somebody based on time alone, but, like, Nick understands the craft and the art behind okay. it. Okay. And okay. He's so deadpanned that I I think that he's persuasive in the way he just sort of says, "Yeah, this is the best thing. Pick that." That he could really um, convince you. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna default to Amy just because she's so she's so charming, 
That's okay. Literally, I think she could walk in the room and sell anything, even my worst design. I think Amy could go and go, oh, look at this. Isn't it adorable? Look how it's broken in the corner. Don't you love that? And they would buy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Amy. Okay, okay. Fantastic. I, I like that. All right. Well, we know we can find you um, when the show premieres on Tuesday, July 31st on NBC. Where else can um, folks find you to look at more of your work and, and get to know you more? Are you on social media? I'm on social uh, media. It's, I'm, I'm everywhere under my name, Jeff Rudell. J-E-F-F-R-U-D-E-L-L. Okay. So I'm on Twitter. I'm on Pinterest. I'm on um, Instagram. And uh, I'm, I have a website, jeffrudell.com, okay. um, which I guess is hiccuping today, but that hiccup will be repaired very soon. I'm assured by my uh, IT guy <laughs> who I called crying this morning. Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it will be okay. It will be okay. All right. It will be fine. Take a deep breath. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. We'll be rooting for you. Uh, so excited. And you, you, you've just thank given you. us so much more to even think about and, and, and look for in the show than, than people oh, might have. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I hope, yeah. really, I hope they tune in and I hope they like it because it's really, it's, it's, it's an aspirational show for some people, but it's an inspirational show too. And I think that, yeah. I think it's got a, I think it's got an audience there that's dying to just see like nice people do nice things um or let me let me rephrase that nice people try to do nice things <laughs> yes do um, best at doing because that's things. what we all do right that's, that's right. right you you right. try to fail forward <laughs> well it, it sounds very very likable um as a series okay. so i'm looking forward to it all right well thank you very big, much big thank you to jeff and thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again um, we look forward to talking more about making it and getting inspired and sharing ideas. Until next time, stay crafty.